Now I invite you to go to James chapter 4. We'll read just a few verses in concluding James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. If you do not have a Bible with you, these verses will appear on the screen above. And I read these as part of the benediction last week because it felt like the benediction of what he had said in the first 12 verses. But this is what James would say to all of us. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And that will conclude uh, our reading for today. Incredibly brief, but uh, plenty to process. The first thing that James is telling all of us is that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. We don't. I'm saying, come, listen, all of you who are saying to yourself that this is what you plan to do in the future, realize you don't know as much as you think you know. Uh, I can remember at the end of last year, uh, plenty of people, because it was going to be 2020, were talking about, you know, kind of designing like sermon series and other, even just uh, talks at work or whatever, and they titled their talks like 2020 Vision. And I caught, thought it was a corny talk, but it was low-hanging fruit. I mean, it was going to be 2020, and so 2020 Vision is perfect vision. But I just was like, I don't think I can use that. And now, especially when I think back of anyone who in January or February said they had 2020 vision of what 2020 was going to be, is realizing, wow, no, this is different. Um, no one could have known a whole number of things that have transpired for all of us. And that's not just true in 2020. That was true in 2019 and 2018. Uh, life for us does not work according to the desire to just sit down and write out a plan and then say, if I can do A, then B will happen, and then C will happen. There's no one I've met yet that that's how life has unfolded for them. I think we're trying to sort of instill it in, uh, in our kids. Uh, I looked fairly recently at Levi's Target uh, Christmas catalog list, and it's really, really long, and I think it's really, really long, not because he thinks he's going to get everything, but because he knows he's not going to. And so it's like, let me put as many things on the list as possible, and maybe I'll get one or two of these things. But I think there's already enough awareness to say, just because I want it doesn't mean I'm going to get it. And that's true for all of us. This person that James is talking about, as far as we know, has no bad intention. He's not saying, hey, next year what I'm hoping to do is just cause a lot of fighting and division, and I'm going to steal from my neighbor and try to figure out how to trick this person into that. And, and so that James is warning that person. No, there is nothing wrong about what this person desires to do. To go as a merchant and say, hey, 
we had a good year here. We're thinking of opening another franchise over here. And so in order to do that, this is where we're going to go. And we're going to hope that, you know, the business just continues to grow. There's nothing wrong with that. So this person has no ill will. There's no bad intentions. James is saying this in the earlier part. He was talking about people who were quarreling and fighting all the time. But here, he's not imagining anyone fighting or arguing. Someone with good intentions, wanting to do a good thing to make a profit in a future year. And he's saying to that person, listen, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Which doesn't mean don't make plans, but just realize even the best of us, when we try to make our plans, have a sense of uncertainty of what tomorrow will bring. And here's the thing. I can say that, and you could have just listened to all of it and still not really believe that, like, you do not know what tomorrow, like Monday, could possibly bring. I'm one phone call away from everything in my life being different. You're one phone call away from everything in your life being totally different. And we can say it in our minds, but not really believe it. So this is the next point he makes. Not only do we not know what tomorrow will bring, we don't know how many tomorrows will come. It's not just that we don't know everything that might take place tomorrow. We don't know how many tomorrows we get. None of us do. There's someone who I don't know personally, but I think I read his blog I'd say at least three to five times a week I check it because almost every day he doesn't write out his own thoughts. Sometimes he writes out his own thoughts, but more and more he posts a blog and it just links you to like five other interesting stories. So the guy lives in Toronto. His name is Tim Challies. He's a Christian. He often reviews books, but every day he'll put up, you know, here's something interesting that he read somewhere else on the web. And I just usually like, and sometimes it's just a science article. Sometimes it's a photography article. Uh, and I just appreciate him. So though I've never met him, when you read someone for many, many years over a long period of time, uh, you feel like you get to know someone a little bit. And early in the year, uh, or in August, two of his kids are in school in Kentucky. And his oldest son had already been in school in Kentucky in college. And so he didn't necessarily feel like he had to go to drop off his son again. His son was entering his junior year. But now his daughter was going to go to the same place. And so he just wrote out the process. For him to go from Toronto to Kentucky, they had to come to Kentucky and then quarantine for two weeks for anyone that was then going to come on and uh, now be in the residential school. So he decided to do that because most of his work is virtual. So he flew to Kentucky, stayed with uh, both of his kids in an Airbnb for two weeks, got them into school, which he was barely allowed to go into, and then he had to fly home to Canada which then Canada is even more strict than the United States. They come to your house and like really double check that you're really quarantining and you're not going where you should. So he just wrote it all out and he said to drop off my kids for like basically four hour period where I was allowed to help them get into the school. That was a month of my life. Like I had to go and quarantine in Kentucky. Then I had to go and quarantine in Toronto. But just recognizing because all of his work is online, it was not as disruptive to him like it has been for so many other people. And he was still willing to do it. Well, partly because I was just caught up as someone who does enjoy politics, uh, uh, and I like reading the news and trying to keep track on 
what was happening and how it was happening and who's saying what, I think it wasn't until Friday or Thursday, maybe afternoon, that I'd read that his son, a junior in college, just unexpectedly collapsed, could not be revived, and died on Tuesday. Playing outside with his fiance, his sister there, other students on an ordinary, beautiful college after fall afternoon at what is the college connected to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And it's just one of those. Like you read it, and I'm like, this can't be. Like I had to read it a couple times. Like, no, no, this couldn't have happened. I remember reading about that, you know, one month of your life just to drop them off for four hours, but your kids are young. And it was just so shocking. Um, Partly, though, because I have this responsibility of pastoring, I'm connected to families many times when those sort of moments come. But I can admit, even in my own life, as often as I've been around other people when they've happened, and even when they happen in my life, it doesn't take very long before I'm getting ready for the day and I'm saying, I really believe I'm going to have a tomorrow. Like if someone were to really press me, like, do you believe you're going to be here tomorrow? No, I I totally do. And everything about what I'm saying and doing, like, assumes I'm going to be here tomorrow. (laughs) And James is saying, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, and none of us know how many tomorrows will come. None of us. These aren't just words for the wicked people or the bad people. This This is true of all of us. And even if we've come to faith in Christ and we know the assurance of Romans chapter 8 that God is for us, he is not against us, his purposes for us are always pure and kind. That doesn't mean he's told us exactly what that will be. But then for me to read just a brief comment of the father speaking at his son's service in Kentucky on Friday and to say his race was not as long as all of us wanted it to be. But we are so thankful that he ran his race well. And it's, man. I don't ever want to have to say that. If I have to say it, I want to be able to say it. But I don't ever want to have to say that. And James is telling all of us, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know how many tomorrows will come. And sometimes we can even lose sight of this point we also know that God can be misused by all of us when we have that sense of anxiety. And even if it's not anxiety, when that reality just comes home to us. James, who's writing this letter, saw a bunch of people who thought they were doing the good and right and godly thing murder his brother. This is James, the brother of Jesus. This is James who knows most of the people who were against his brother were people who thought they were doing the right thing. They, th- they thought God was on their side and then they used that not to bring 
a sense of peace in their heart and a sense of generosity towards other people. But they took the God is on our side and they used it to go after people. And the main person they went after was his brother. And so he's writing this letter about quarreling and the struggles that are within us and the temptations to say things even uh, that are good things like go and be warm or um, you know, peace be with you. And James has seen, you can say all those things and actually misuse them. And he never loses his awareness of that, which is then why it sounds so strong to us to say, look, if you're boasting in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And we'd be like, James, relax a little bit. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I'm relaxed, but this is serious. Um, the point would have just been too long to fit on the PowerPoint, but one of the ways I put this was, uh, there's a famous sermon in early American history. It precedes the Revolutionary War, but there was an evangelist in the first Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, who preached a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which many high schools still, public schools will have you to read, and then they'll tell you a bunch of bad things about it, but read it for yourself uh, and form your own opinion. But just as uh, another caution that we need to pay attention to is God in the hand of angry sinners. All of us can misuse God in profound ways. And we see it time and time again throughout human history. And James wants all of us to be humbled by that. To not take the truth that we don't know anything about tomorrow and that we don't even know how many tomorrows we will come and then misuse God to do the wrong thing. What he wants us to do is to do the right thing. That's verse 17 and that's where he ends. So we know that God can be misused by us, but we also know that God can use any of us today. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So like this morning, I was I'm coming to church. I know most of what I'm gonna say. And I was like about to quickly leave without kissing everyone in the house. And I was like, no, wait a minute. I know I would regret if I didn't do this. And I found out today was my last day. So why am I not doing what I wish I would do if I thought that today might be my last day? Go back inside and kiss everyone and then go to church. <laughs> but it takes work for all of us to just, yeah, don't take anything for granted. Life is a gift. It is sacred. And James is not writing to cause us to despair. He's saying, don't get so overwhelmed by all that stuff that you don't know and you can't control that then you just, you miss out on what's right around you. And the opportunity to enjoy the people that you love, to tell them that you love them. If there's anyone you feel like you should say sorry to, today's the best day to say it. It is. If there's anyone you feel like you should say I love you to, today's the best day to do it. Don't wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that we can come to you and that you love us enough to tell us the truth and that with all the love you have for us, you, you've not given us all of your knowledge and you've not given us all of your strength that we don't know what tomorrow will bring and we don't know how many tomorrows we'll have but we do believe that you want us to be more than conquerors to not live in fear 
or anxiety over that reality, but to live with no regrets because we know that we can just come up with so many excuses to not do what you're calling us to do, to not do and act on what we feel convicted we should do. And we just pray that you would help remove those excuses that we can so easily come up with to not say I'm sorry or to not say I love you or to not uh, meet someone new. Um, Father, please just remove those barriers in our own mind and spirit and help us to experience everything today that you have for us as a ready gift. In Jesus' name, amen.